Well, what better way, really, to start out a series on love than with a little bit of poetry? So I begin this morning with a poem called True Love. If you love something, set it free. If it comes back, it was and always will be yours. If it never returns, it was never yours to begin with. If it just sits in your living room, messes up your stuff, eats your food, uses your Wi-Fi, takes your money, and never behaves as if you actually set it free in the first place, you either married it or gave birth to it. Yeah. Love. We're a little cynical, I think. A little jaded when it comes to love. Even though it's all around the music we watch, the shows that we, uh, the music we listen to, the shows we watch, the books we read, it's, it's all around us. Hugely important. We are a little cynical, a little jaded about it. Um, now, before I go any further this morning, we do have a special treat. Tanner Lolly is with us. Tanner, you can come on up. He's a painter. He's a Preston Crest member. Uh, Deanna's wife is a member as well. They have two lovely daughters, Haven, four years old, and the brand new addition to the family, Margot, who is, I think, less than two weeks old. Two tomorrow. She will be two weeks old tomorrow. And while I'm preaching about love, uh, Tanner will be preaching with his paint this morning, and I think it's going to be going to be a real treat as we think about. And this is really the first thing that I, that I want you to write down. We're not going to write down a lot of stuff today, but uh, on the outline this morning, this is the key, not just for today, but the rest of the series. And what Tanner will be doing is this idea that Preston Crest, that our church is a house of love, where we compassionately care for each other and for our metroplex neighbors. The Bible says God is love. If this is God's house, then this must be a house of love. Nothing shocking talking about love at church because this was the theme of not only what Jesus taught in his messages, but what he lived out in his ministry. Jesus said about us in John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35, I am giving you a new commandment. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. The world is going to look for evidence. The world is going to need some proof that you are who you claim to be, followers of Jesus. And Jesus says it's not going to be because you have figured out all of the right doctrine and orthodoxy, although those things are important. Jesus doesn't say it's going to be because you look a certain way, dress a certain way, that you don't use curse words. That's how they're going to know. He says, they're going to know you're mine by the way you love. By the way you love. Now, this is the defining quality of Jesus, his ministry, and his group of disciples. And while this concept is so familiar because it is so omnipresent in our culture, 
countless songs, TV shows, all this kind of stuff about love, it is hard, I think, sometimes for us to pin down exactly what it means. I mean, love is what we use to describe our feelings toward our mother and our favorite taco joint. Hmm? Love describes the deep human emotions that we feel and it is also how we call it a score in a tennis match, right? Some of you get that. Some of you are like, huh? Love is the highest human aspiration and it's an airport down the road as well. So, Love is kind of hard to get a handle on, I think. Um, and one time Jesus came across this young legal scholar who wanted to understand this concept that was so important to the Lord and wanted to know specifically not just what is love, but who exactly do I have to love? Because frankly, there are some people that are kind of hard to love. So who, Jesus, is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love? Jesus did what he often or usually did, which is tell a story, tell a parable. And he told one of his very most famous and remembered parables, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10, verses 30 to 37. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over, looked at him lying there. He also passed to the other side. Verse 33, Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Then Jesus asks this young, bright, legal mind, Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, Yes. Now go and do the same. So Jesus tells this relatively short, um, simple, captivating story, though, about the Good Samaritan. But somehow this story, right, has become more than just a story. Somehow this story has become so fixed in society that it, has, it has really transformed the way people think about what it looks like to live a life of love. 
I mean, this story has gotten legs and, and taken off in our culture. I mean, if you were to open the yellow pages, I didn't literally open the yellow pages this week, but I did get on the YP website, the yellow pages website. And I was curious as to, in local businesses around the Metroplex, like how often, because occasionally you see something called the Good Samaritan, how often is, is that used as a name in our community for different businesses? And I found over 20 different businesses in Dallas that incorporate the Good Samaritan into their name. I found churches. I found healthcare organizations. I found hospice groups. I found a, a philanthropic groups. I found a, a furniture store. There's even a tow truck company in Dallas that uses the Good Samaritan. All from this story. State of Texas, like many states, has a Good Samaritan law on the books which simply means if you're driving down the road or walking down the road and you see somebody in need you may stop and render assistance to them without having to be worried about liability issues the Good Samaritan has become more than just a story it's become a way that people think about being a neighbor a way that people think about what it looks like to care for another person whom they do not know So there he is in the story. Sees this fellow, poor soul, bleeding death on the side of the road. Does he know him? Is he familiar? No. Are they from the same religious group? No, quite the contrary. Opposing religious groups. Are they from the same ethnic group? No, they're not. Is it easy? Is it convenience for the Good Samaritan to render assistance in the story? No, it's not. In fact, it's quite the interruption, isn't it, for him to stop and to help. But he helps because it's the right thing to do. He helps because it's the loving thing to do. He helps because that's what a good neighbor does. The usual response to some poor soul lying by the side of the road or in a public space who's in need, the usual response, well, that's in the priest's response, isn't it? The priest who, I mean, you would think is going to be the hero of the story, this man of God, this priest representing God on earth to the people, surely he is going to model for us love. No, he models for us the usual way of responding to people's needs. There they are. I'm going to cross over to the other side of the street and continue my journey. The usual way of responding to other people's needs is the temple assistant or the Levite. Same thing. Cross to the other side of the street. Keep on walking. After all, they have places to go, people to see. They have an agenda they have important appointments. After all, it would be quite an interruption to stop and render first aid. And who am I? I'm not a doctor. I'm not a paramedic. And maybe after all, it would be dangerous. This could all be some elaborate setup. right? The bandits are still around. They're hiding out, waiting for some poor slob like me to stop and help out. And then they're going to jump me. We would like... Well, let me put that... 
I would like to read the story to see the priest and to see the Levite, and I would like to say, what are they doing? How inhumane. I'd like to do that. Have trouble doing that because not only is that the usual way of handling people in distress, maybe I see myself in the priest and in the Levite. Maybe I've driven on by. Maybe I've crossed to the other side of the road. So the better question is not, why didn't they stop and help? The better question is, why don't I help my neighbor? When the Samaritan sees this stranger lying by the side of the road, he doesn't see a stranger. He doesn't see someone from a rival religious group. He doesn't see a potential threat. He doesn't see an interruption. He sees a neighbor in need of help. He sees a human being made in the image of God who's dying. And who's in a very dangerous spot. And he helps out. He sees a neighbor. Now we see this image of love begin to emerge for us as followers of Jesus, for our Preston Crest Church, and what we need to be not only here in these walls but in the city that God has placed us in. And Jesus shows us in this parable that he tells that love, this is on the outline this morning, by the way, love is not a feeling. Love is not a feeling. Now, does the Samaritan feel something? Absolutely, feels compassion. Jesus says he saw the man, he felt compassion. Feelings are good. Having the heart strings strummed, the heart engaged, is certainly a good thing. But love is not a feeling. The good Samaritan wouldn't have been so good if he had felt sorrow and felt compassion and just kept walking. Well, I hate to keep, I got to keep walking though. That would not be loving, would it? So it's good to feel things, but love is is not a feeling. Jesus says love also, love isn't something you say. Love isn't something you say. It's not telling somebody, hey, honey, I love you. Hey, son, daughter, I love you. God, I love you. It's not something you say. You can express it with words. You can tell, and by the way, that's a good thing to do. probably need to do that more than we do. But love isn't something that you say. Good Samaritan could have said, Bummer, dude. Sorry that you're hurting, but I got to get on down the road. I would love to help you, but I have no medical training, so we're both better off if I just... Love isn't something you say. Jesus teaches in this parable that love is something you do. 
Love is a verb. Love is an action. The Samaritan loved not by feeling something, not by saying something. The, love, the Samaritan loved by stopping and by getting involved. The Samaritan loved by helping this person in this desperate situation out. And that brings us to us and God. Because this morning, if we're trying to get clarity about love, if we're trying to say, you know, this is kind of a murky concept in our culture and society. We, we, we put it on a pedestal. We talk about it. We write stories about it. But we don't, we're not really clear on what it is. If we want to get clear, we need to talk about us and God. Because the beautiful thing is that God didn't just say, hey, world, I love you. He showed us. The most famous verse in all the New Testament, perhaps all of the Bible. John 3.16. Jesus said this, For God so loved the world that He gave, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus doesn't say, God so loved the world that He said, world, I love you. Jesus didn't say, God so loved the world that He sent a hallmark. He didn't send a hallmark, He sent Himself. <laughs> he sent the incarnation, the Son of God to be born in Bethlehem. To live in this broken world that would be betray, reject, and ultimately kill him. Because God so loved the world. Write this down on the outline. On the cross, God did not simply tell us he loved us. God showed us. God showed us. Love looks like Cecilia Crocker. Cecilia Crocker. It was in August of 1987 that Northwest Airlines Flight 225, Sunday, just like this, Northwest Airlines 225 took off from Detroit Metro. Didn't get far before it it crashed. Horrible, horrible air disaster. 155 souls lost. But there were 156 passengers on board that flight. The survivor was four-year-old Cecilia Crocker. First responders showed up in this mess of wreckage. And when they found this four-year-old girl, they did not believe that she was a passenger on board the airplane. She was likely a passerby. Perhaps she was a passenger in one of the automobiles on that road that the plane crashed into. But when they consulted the passenger manifest, there she was. She survived. 
You want to know what love looks like? Look at her. Because shortly after takeoff, when the plane experienced catastrophic engine failure and began falling from the sky, Cecilia's mother, Paula, took off her seatbelt, knelt in front of her daughter, held her in her arms, covered her with her body, and Paula refused to let go of her daughter. And that is how that girl survived the impact of the crash. Love saved her life. Her mother's love kept her safe. Nothing could separate the child from her mother's love. Not tragedy, not disaster, not heights nor depths, not the fall or the flames that ensued, not life nor death could separate her from her mother's love. And you've been the recipient of just that kind of love. That's what Jesus did for you. For God so loved the world. He left the safety and comfort of heaven and came to this world to live and die for you. To take the beating and the punishment that was coming our way. He surrounded us, enveloped us with his body and saved us. Love saved us. From John 3.16 to the other John 3.16, 1 John 3.16, I love what the apostle writes about this love. He says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. So John says, you want to know what real love looks like? Look to the cross. Look at what Jesus did for you. John says, you want to know what it means to embody love, what it means to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Live in response to the cross. Share the concern. Share the passion and the compassion. Live like someone who's been pulled out of the fires of hell and set free and eternally saved. Live like someone who's been saved. You know, Cecilia Crocker's all grown up now, starting her own family. And we've been saved to grow up in Jesus Christ and to live out this calling to be a people of love. Jesus loves me. This I know. But the Bible tells me so. Well, this morning, maybe you need to receive His love. And you can do that by putting your faith in Jesus, by saying, Lord, I'm counting on you. I'm counting on you. I'm counting on what you accomplished for me on the cross. 
And I put my trust in that. And this morning, you can confess that faith. You can declare, that's where I'm putting my faith. And you can be immersed in baptism, which is essentially a reenactment of the gospel, a reenactment of that event where Jesus was killed and buried and raised from the dead in baptism. We relive that story that will define us for all eternity where he gave up his life for us. Or maybe this morning you are one of the redeemed and you're here as you come every Sunday to celebrate and to sing and to be with these people of God in the house of love. And while the culture may think that love is tricky to define, as disciples of Jesus, we know what it looks like because we have been on the receiving end of the greatest gift of love in the history of the world. The gospel. He loves us completely. He loves us without reservation. Jesus loves us with reckless abandon. And now he, he calls us to follow him in the way of love. He calls you to follow as a disciple in the way of love. He calls us, the Preston Crest Church, to be a house of love where hurting people can come and find hope, can come and get a hug, can come and hear the good news, can come with their broken marriages, with their broken parenting, with their broken dreams, with their addictions, with their hang-ups, they can come and they can find a house of love. And that we can be more than just a geographical place. We can be the body of Christ out in our city, out in our mission field, living as a people deeply loved, who are called to love. This morning, if you need to respond, we invite you to do that. We're going to have a prayer. We're going to have a song. We would invite you to respond in whatever way you need to. Let's pray right now. Father, with great humility, we approach your throne of grace. Because, Father, the reality is when we look at that beautiful story of the Good Samaritan, generally the role that we have seen ourselves play in that story is not of the one who stops and sacrifices and helps, but in the one who sees a need and goes to the other side of the street. I'm sorry, and we're sorry, and we repent of that. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, this morning to come into our hearts and our lives and change us. Powerfully, miraculously, supernaturally change us into the women and men that you have called us to be, that you have rescued us to be. And may the Preston Crest Church be known as a place not necessarily as the place with all the right answers, the place that has it all together, but may it be known in our city as a house of love, a place where broken people can come and experience you and experience Christian fellowship. This is our prayer this morning. This is our hope. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's be standing. Let's worship together.